TED Audio Collective. Hi, everyone. I have something different today. This is an episode from Fixable, another podcast in the TED Audio Collective. In each episode, business leaders Ann Morris and Francis Fry take calls from listeners about particularly difficult work problems, and they fix them. They're all about moving fast and fixing things, and believe that they can get to the bottom of almost any conundrum in just one session. Here's an episode I think you'll really enjoy. To hear more, you can find Fixable wherever you're listening to this podcast. Francis, we have a great caller this week. His name is David. He founded a local nonprofit with his brother. It's Family Affair, and he's having an incredible amount of impact. He loves his job. The problem is it's not his full-time job yet, And he's also wrestling with the sustainability and exhaustion of doing two jobs, making this a side hustle and trying to figure out, is this the time to jump in fully and make the leap? Awesome. And what does the not-for-profit do? It's an organization that offers a pretty intensive fellowship program focused on young Black men in Miami, helps them develop their career goals and ambition, and really allow students to get in touch with how they want to go out in the world and contribute. Really looking forward to listening to David's message. My passion is taking a big hit. I'm talking about the demand is so high for what we do in a community, but the resources do not match at all. I'm trying to figure out how do we preserve our passion while growing and scaling this business so that we can focus on continuing to meet the demands of the young learners that we serve day in and day out. The passion, the purpose, um, the clarity, all of it really beautiful. It's also a very general situation, which is when do I make my side hustle my main hustle? (laughs) Yes, and we've learned the hard way as a family. Passion is a key ingredient in standing up an organization, but it's not enough. uh, And you need infrastructure and resources and sanity uh, to make it work. So I'm really curious about where he is on all those other dimensions as well. I'm Ann Morris. I'm a company builder and leadership coach. I'm Frances Fry. I'm a professor at the Harvard Business School. And most importantly, I'm your wife. Yes, most importantly. And this is Fixable from the TED Audio Collective a show where meaningful change happens quickly. This show is brought to you by Schwab. You're here because you like to keep a pulse on trends in technology. Well, now you can invest in what's trending in artificial intelligence, big data, robotic revolution, and more with Schwab Investing Themes. It's an easy way to invest in ideas you believe in. Schwab's research process uncovers emerging trends. Then their technology curates relevant stocks into themes. Choose from over 40 themes. Buy all the stocks in a theme as is or customize to better fit your investing goals. All in a few clicks. Schwab Investing Themes is not intended to be investment advice or a recommendation of any stock or investment strategy. Learn more 
at schwab.com slash thematic investing. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Support for this show comes from Economist Education. TED Business listeners know we've discussed how businesses can drive solutions to social problems, which requires understanding and presenting your data effectively. And Economist Education has a new course on data storytelling and visualization. Economist Education provides online executive education courses that last about two to six weeks. They're designed to empower business professionals to thrive. It covers everything from international relations, sustainability, critical thinking, and more. The courses feature senior editors from The Economist and invited experts who share their insights. Economist Education is a great way to stay ahead in your career, and I have a special offer to get you started. Get 15% off any course from Economist Education, only available by going to my exclusive URL, education.economist.com slash tedbusiness. Enter our promo code TEDBUSINESS at registration. This offer ends on March 31st. Don't wait for 15% off. Go now to education.economist.com slash tedbusiness and use promo code TEDBUSINESS at registration. David, welcome to Fixable. Let's start with the work that you're doing today. Give us some context. Yeah, so the idea of it was we saw a need in the school system or we saw a need directly in communities of poverty, communities where violence was at an all-time high. We felt that a student should never spend 12 years in school or more to simply end up in poverty or conditions adjacent to that. And so we thought of this module that prepared students for life. And it just quickly evolved a lot faster than than we imagined. So wait, before we get into the evolution, if we can travel back with you to the beginning. So g- give us an example of what was one of the workshops. For sure. We do eight months consecutive workshops. But one of my favorite is we do a Shark Tank simulation. So this is more for students who are interested in going the entrepreneur route, trying to figure out, well, what does it look like to build a business from the ground up pitch the business and the individuals that they're pitching to are sharks per se, they're some of Miami's best and brightest. And then in this case, these are business people in Miami who have started their own companies. Correct. And so the students have to come up with a product on the spot. They have 15 minutes to create a pitch and then they go in front of these individuals whom they've never seen in their lives and they have to pitch the product and look for investment. So and they get a cheat sheet so they know what to ask for. But it's one of my favorite simulations, primarily because we see students standing up and embracing vulnerability, one, but two, we see their creative geniuses really start to twirl. And and these kids, they can sell water to a well like they're like they're that good (laughs) on the spot. We got a ton more, but that one for sure always always warms my heart. That's awesome. So in the room for that workshop, it's you and are you leading this with anyone else? Anything that we do, we outsource through the community. 
we want to make sure that a, a part of our framework is, is students having access to trained experts. So I give the framework, but just in terms of actually running the workshop, that's all on our volunteers that come in. Love it. Love it. And how many participants do you have in the program right now per cohort or class or? Yeah. So we run a cohort module. We started with 10 and then the following year, the application pool just blew up. And so we went from 10 to 15, which was hard because we've had hundreds of applications. Then the following year, we went to 20 and then we ended up having to, to bump again. And so this year, currently, we're serving 25 students all across the inner city of Miami-Dade County, Florida. And what's been the high point of this ride for you so far? The outcomes by, by far. I think that the high points are when our alumni come back and they're telling us, hey, my whole life, I always thought there was one path to success. I always thought that I had to go to school, I had to go to college, and I had to do it this way. We do a barbershop workshop in our entrepreneurship and vocation where we highlight local barbers and they, they give a free haircut and then they talk about their journey in that particular vocation and then the historic value of the barbershop in the Black community. And we have a student this year who is currently in barber school, who is an alumni of our program. And he's literally about, his business is booming so much, he's about to open his own barbershop. And wow, and the list is endless, but that for me is the high point for us to know we're doing something here. We have the secret sauce and it works. And what's been the low point? The low point for sure is the internal fatigue. And then knowing that I have this passion project and I'm essentially, some days we're working the full week where we, we go to work and then we do the work with our fellows. But when you're working seven days a week, it's hard sometimes to get out of the bed and say, I'm going to show up 100% of where I am. But the highs definitely push that out of the way and continue to keep us going. What is your ideal relationship with this organization? Would you like to be full-time? I would love to be full-time. Myself and my, myself and my brother, we talk about it every day. Like It's our dream to solely focus all of our time and effort on building us. And I'm just going to ask some technical questions. Are you a 501c3 organization? We are. You are 501c3. Great. We are. Um, so it's you, your brother, and you have some kind of minimal board, I imagine, at this stage? We do. We do. Great. And how are you funding the program today? I know when we started, both my brother and I, we were coming out of our pockets to ensure that we can do this. So today, we've been very fortunate to have the support of the local foundations in Miami. Got it. Um and then in terms of the fundraising has been from foundations or from individuals? Both. As, so okay. we do, just for context, we do two drives a year. We have like people who continuously donate. And um, there's a saying that my mom used to tell me when I was younger. And it's um, little, little makes enough, enough. And, and so whenever we think about our strategy, it's like, well, if we get a little here, a little there, a little here, a little there, then we'll have a lot in the pot for sure. Got it. And do you have any employees at this point? We don't. We yeah, we don't. We contract some services yeah. every now and then mm -hmm. for individuals who we deeply believe our students can benefit from. Yep. A lot of our workshops are donated in kind. And so the hope is to, to offload some of the work that we do to one day employees. Amazing. All right, Francis, what okay. did I miss on the no, diagnosis? I mean, you've gotten it so beautifully. I'm going to take a, a step, which is the generalizable portion of this, David, is that you're doing one thing. You want to go from 
the for-profit world to the not-for-profit world. And you're an entrepreneur in doing it, which is beautiful. And you're doing something that it's so easy to get around. But because you're doing it with a little, little, a little, little rarely yields enough for salaries. Mm -hmm. It does enough for work for the supplies and for all of that. So you've probably been underestimating the costs to run this business because the cost to run this business is your salary and your brother's salary and honestly, and an administrative assistant's salary. Mm. So if we get to what it costs to run it, you have whatever your costs are and then add those. And then it's a real number um, that we're going to want to come up with a plan of how can you sustainably fund that. And I have ideas for how to do that. Can, uh, I, can I take oh, a swing? Yeah. Just to make sure that we are tracking, David, um, is it fair to say that, I think I'm stating the obvious, but if you don't jump off this cliff, there's not someone else behind you who's going to do it. Like this, this organization goes away if we don't figure out a way for you to do it sustainably. Yeah, I think that's right on the money as well. Both both my brother and I, and and so I, like we would jump off the cliff together, or one jumps first and then the other one follows shortly after. And then one other question: You do twenty five uh, students a year in your like most ambitious dream. How many students a year will you be doing? I, I love that question because we we talk about it all the time. And so the in my most ambitious dream. We'll do multiple cohorts, more individualized center cohorts, like a student athlete cohort, a tech center cohort. Like we would do yeah. that. So in, in my wildest dreams, there's no cap on on what we could support, but rather categories for the individuals that are there so we can more carefully curate the experience that they get. Let's move on to some solutions, starting with new ways to raise money. The thing about fundraising is you're asking people for money for a service that they're not actually going to consume. It's much different than how we're typically asked for money. Here, I'm going to give you money, and the only thing you can give me is a story about the consumption, a beautiful story about sponsoring a student's scholarship. Yes, the, the only investment with the possibility of infinite returns. So there's a cost per student of a year, and I think you will currently are radically underestimating what that cost is because you're not putting your salaries into it and you're not putting uh, the executive assistant. So if you take all of the students and divide that by all of the money it will cost in addition to your salaries, what's the cost per student, right? And that's one way. And I have an example of that. Um, my favorite school in the world is a school in Peru and it's called the Innova School and they take kids uh, out of poverty and they achieve unbelievable things with them. And they set up a global program called Peru Champs. And that was for anyone in the world could sponsor a student. So right now you're getting the money locally from Miami and that's great. But oh my gosh, are there people beyond Miami that would want to tap in to this? And so that would be my first thought is let's figure out the true per student cost Let's try, you know, the Miami champs, whatever you're going to call call this one. So that's one way of the fundraising. Yeah, yeah. Just, I want to get I want to get David your reaction yeah. to that before we go on. You're one thousand percent right. I can guarantee right now that we are wildly underestimating what that cost is, and it, and it's just such a 
hard place to to exist to to be honest like how do we how do we codify like our worth while i guess mentally we're thinking well are we taken away from what we can do for the students if our dollar amount is too high and so we have never put our cost into what it costs to to run this program no and so what you're doing which is lovely but short term is you're building this organization on your own personal exhaustion mm-hmm. You're in your brother's personal exhaustion. So the best thing you can do for the current students and the future students is make it sustainable for you. It might not be the level of your current salary, but it has to be one that you don't have financial anxiety so that you can put all of your attention on this. Right. So, and and, and it is and an emotional V1. obstacle. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is V1. So we spent a lot of time helping entrepreneurs start organizations. And you just did something extraordinary, David, which is, so you had this idea, you ran a couple of really smart experiments. You figured out if there was a demand for the service that you were offering. Check, check, check. You have like families beating down your door. (laughs) Ask you to work with their kids and you have kids showing up and thriving in your presence. So like check on that experiment. You also ran a really personal experiment that every entrepreneur has to run, which is, is this something that you want to be doing? Right. Like you didn't know when you started this, if like your passion and energy was going to be ignited and it happened. So check, like those are two really important checks. Right, right. right. The, th- the third check that you're figuring out is you ran an operating experiment on what it's going to take to make this company sustainable and you haven't yet figure that out. There's not a check in that column yet. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's what you're doing right now. And I think where France is where you're going is like let's start working with some hard numbers here and sometimes there are like real emotions in the way of this, but let's get super practical. Does this business want to be a business? To me the answer is is yes. Because the other experiment you have to run when you're talking about the not-for-profit is, do we have donors? And this is what's weird about running a nonprofit is you have two sets of customers. You have the students you're serving, but you also have the donors who need to write you a check. Right. And those are two different entities. You have some data around that as well, is that people are willing to write checks out of their own pocket for services that they're not going to receive. Right. Right. (laughs) Right. That's what's weird about being a donor. But where Francis was going is... Can we get a real tactical sense of for version one, like the minimum viable version of this organization, what is the cost to run it for a year? And have you done that kind of work, like a basic business model? This is what it's going to take. Yeah, we we we've done that, excluding what it will excluding cost. Excluding right. Yeah. right, right. Excluding the one that which has the what, zeros, which is what you sniffed out. Yeah. <laughs> right. Excluding, I would argue, the most important, the most important at the mm-hmm. top of this list. And so it, here's the calculus I'm doing in my head: whatever the number is for you plus your brother plus half of that for an administrative assistant, that's the number. Um, and then when you divide that by twenty five. Although I think you're going to get to two cohorts very quickly. So I'm going to say divide that by 50. And that's the amount you want from each donor. Mm. And I would say those are the out of Miami donors. The local donors, I would be looking to them for all of the non-salary costs, right? Because you're, you're getting that now, right? They're doing right. all of the non-salary and that's beautiful and it's probably community building and I would keep doing that. But for the real infrastructure, which is the salaries, I would go beyond 
Miami for doing that and letting people sponsor a kid and there'll be a waiting list to offer this for a kid. Why are you pushing beyond Miami? Why not go to rich people in Miami? You can do it, but it's so like the world is desperate to be helpful. Mm -hmm. And so while what you need is money, David, so many other people need the opportunity to give money. I wouldn't limit myself at all for it. I wouldn't limit myself at all for it. And there's someone on this small team, you, your brother, and this uh, administrative assistant who's going to own the task because it's really hard to do now when you're doing two full-time jobs. You you can't also do this. Right. Someone's going to own the task of how to find these people. Right. And, you know, social media has made it a lot easier and cheaper than it ever was before. But that's that's going to be a serious part of how this operation used to work. And that would be a good board member. (laughs) It would be somebody who has already successfully done stuff on social media. And so as a member of their board, they can help with that. And I'm going to take a little bit of a tangent and come back, but I helped uh, a friend of ours start an organization called Inner City Weightlifting. So his model is he was working directly with gang-involved youth Mm. and working on ways to get them off the streets and into a workforce development program. It started very small. It started with this idea of uh, the students training to be personal trainers. And it was just the seed of an idea, and it's grown into like an astonishingly successful organization. However you want to measure impact, this guy has succeeded. One of the coolest parts of the experience is that he would bring donors in to train with the kids. And eventually he started charging for that privilege. And he stumbled on this impact that he wasn't expecting to be in the business of, which is that the relationships that would build between the student trainers and the donors who were coming in to be trained, who eventually were paying for the privilege, was a a totally radical shift in the just social dynamics of the way both of these communities saw each other. But the point is that these donors can be an asset to you in lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. And so here's the parallel I might make, David. You said in the beginning that these kids can sell water to a well. 1,000%. Like, imagine if some of the donors who were local wanted to tap into that expertise. Right. So I would go first to, let's get the real cost structure, which is your salaries, divide it by the number of kids. And then, Francis, tell us again why you are dividing And I'm dividing because I want people to be able to sponsor. I want people to give a scholarship for a kid because I want the sponsor to know. You feel like you're investing, you're making an investment in a person. You're investing in a person's future. And I'm going to give you my alternative thesis, David. And then (laughs) then you get to pick one because we're very competitive. (laughs) So you got to tell us who wins. Um, And then we're going to let you talk (laughs) about your life. (laughs) I think Francis' idea is a beautiful way to scale fundraising. But I want you to get seed money that really gets this organization off the ground. My thesis on where you're going to find it is with people inside the Miami-Dade zip code who are really want this city to thrive in all of the ways and are willing to write you a meaningful check to really get to the next level of this program and understand how hard it is to start and scale an organization. So when you come to these entrepreneurs and you say, this is where I am in this journey. They will know exactly what you're talking about. And then you will have a very specific number. Here's what I'm looking for. 
five seed donors. We're going to give them a, a really sexy name. Have the kids come up with the name. Have the kids come up with the name. Right. Um, maybe when you're pitching them, you bring uh, one or two students with you. Maybe an alum. To the meeting to tell the story with you. Um, and you say, I'm looking for five people. These five people are going to have a special role in the founding of the organization. They will be part of this story forever. Um, I'm raising $10,000 from each of you. I'm raising $25,000 from each of you. I'm planning these numbers in your subconscious, David, because these are not big numbers for the people whose rooms you're going to be in. For $100,000, this is what you get to be forever to this organization that I already know is going to be wildly successful because let me tell you what we've been able to do on no money. Right. On no this money. what we've been right. able to do with nothing. Can you even imagine what we're going to be able to do with a budget of $250,000 for our first year? It's right. here's how we're going to spend it. Here's exactly how we're going to use your money. I'm going to come and tell you about it quarterly with these meetings. And by the way, there's X special program that I'm going to invite you to help deliver because they could learn so much from you. So we want to get you involved in delivering mm -hmm. the program as well. Okay. Yeah. David, where's your head? Yeah, I, I, when when you say you were planted it into my subconsciousness, I was like, it's, it's there. The seeds are, they're just being watered right now. So I, I'm I'm locked and loaded, and so I can't too much pressure. I can't pick the idea that was best. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and abstain my vote here. I'm not gonna do that. Right? I'm not gonna do that <laughs> it's right the now. Smart move, it's a David. very smart move, David. <laughs> <laughs> but but what what I what I will say is um, I, I'll say two things. One, this is not only affirming but confirming because I think internally. You, you kind of know, like, you got to make that turn or you got to make that pivot at some point. You you keep playing double dutch. You go back and forth with the idea and, you, and you're asking yourself, like, it's the time now where you're asking yourself, are they really going to believe in what it is we have here? Even if we show them these numbers, even if we show them this, like, are they really going to say, yes, like, I am going to invest in that? And, and, it, and it's just crazy because the answer is yes. And so I'm, I'm hearing two things. The, the first is, we need to, we can still be humble. We can still practice humility. And then the second one is being a little technical in, in the way that we do it because stories of impact are beautiful. Like our success metrics and numbers are beautiful. But I think that when people start to ask those real questions, like how much does it cost? And so that number truly, it'll never be whole if we, if we don't add our, ourselves in there. So that's where I'm at right now. Like my mind is just like racing right now and just kind of want to hit the whiteboard and just go crazy. I want you to be super selfish for this point in the organization. But right now, what you really need is people to help you find the financial resources to make this a going concern. Yeah. When you think about donors, I want you to find the early adopters. You're going to be able to like embrace the whole world once you have a full-time director of fundraising. Right. They're going to be able to get super creative. But right now, who are the donors who are going to care most about this mission and have access to significant resources? And that's why I keep going back to Miami-Dade County uh, with people who, when you start telling them that story of the barbershop, right. are going to have tears in their eyes because they started their own version of a barbershop. Yeah, it was a tech company and it was, uh, you know, but it was a barbershop. It was like SaaS <laughs> right. software, but for them, it was a barbershop. Yeah. Right. You know, I want, and they're going to know, they're going to have tears in their eyes because they know exactly what that was. 
And because they're entrepreneurs and they're investors, they're going to then start firing questions at you around how are you going to use the money and how far is this going to get you? And, you know, what's the cost per student calculus that Francis wants? And Scholarships. You, and you will have already done that. <laughs> right, um, right. But those guys aren't funding a student. Those, those guys are funding, you know, 20 yeah. students. Oh, no, the seed ones, are that's big and money. they're going to feel like they're standing right next to you, David. And guess what? You're going to feel like someone is standing right next to you because they are. Right. And that takes us back to how do you get the energy back to do this? You stop doing it alone. Right. And you lead with humility, you David. You do, David. So when I say to you, I want you to bring some swagger into that conversation, there's no risk that you're going to go too far. For sure. I can, I can do that. I can bring a little bit of that. So where, where's your head now? My, my head is, I need to go out there and get it. <laughs> I think that I need to execute. One, I'm super grateful to hear the ideas given to me and in, in the space of let's get out there and like, let's protect this passion so that we don't burn out. And ultimately also so that both my brother and I, we can be satisfied with continuing to do this. That's where my head is. David, it is just a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, I appreciate you both. Good luck, Bye, David. David. Tired of unnecessary payroll errors and the problems they bring? Like employees missing bills because of shorted paychecks. Managers taking the heat from angry employees about those shorted paychecks. HR and payroll teams clocking late hours to correct timesheets, expense mistakes, missing overtime, and sick days. All of that is so unnecessary. Pump the brakes on payroll errors for good by putting employees in the driver's seat. With Paycom's Betty, employees do their own payroll. Betty identifies errors and guides employees to fix them before submission, right in the app. Because no one can afford for payroll to be wrong, and who knows when their pay is wrong or right better than employees. So why not let them fix payroll problems before they become problems? When you get payroll precision every time, unnecessary payroll hassles become, well, unnecessary. Manage the process to make payday right for everyone with Paycom. Learn more at paycom.com slash soundrise. That's paycom.com slash soundrise. If there's a surefire way to wake up feeling fresh after a night of enjoying alcohol, it's with Zbiotics. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/tedbusiness to get 15% off your first order when you use Ted Business at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee. So if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/tedbusiness.
TEDBUSINESS and use the code TEDBUSINESS at checkout for 15% off. Thank you, Zbiotics, for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Francis, what surprised you? Where did your mind go about the larger world of work? What's the takeaway? So for me, the takeaway, it's an entrepreneurial lesson, which is you have to get product market fit, Mm -hmm. which is super hard. And he figured that out in a really difficult context for everything but the price. So you have to get the product market fit. You have to do it in a way that you love, right? So it has to, we have to create a good job for for David and his brother. And then we need a funding mechanism. And that is like that is what entrepreneurship <laughs> is about. Yeah. I hadn't ever really applied it to the not-for-profit in that way. It was super eye-opening uh, to me. Yeah, the way I think about it in the not-for-profit world is it's, you actually have to find product market fit for two sets of customers. Right. For the humans that you're trying to serve, but also for the donors who you're also providing a service to. Yeah. Like, and in return, they get additional meaning. They get to feel like good people. They get connected to an issue that they care about somehow. Yeah. And I think he figured it out, of course, (laughs) you know, for the students that he's serving first. And now he has to figure out how to do it for the donors. Yeah. And this ride, uh, it can be really exhausting. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing that um, can take you buy surprise when you're building a business. When I was running a company I started, I the way I thought about it was I would wake up in the morning and there are a hundred ways <laughs> you could spend your to day to move the organization forward. Yeah. And on a good day I got to pick three. Yeah. And I I think the type A among us get seduced into thinking of, oh, maybe that hundred ways is is achievable for me. Maybe the yeah, maybe, maybe I'm superhuman enough. Maybe so. as you like to say, gravity doesn't apply to me. It applies to all of us. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you have a problem, we would love to hear from you. As as you realize we get very attached. You want if you want us to join the fa- family, as David said, and solve a workplace problem together, please get in touch. You can do it at fixable at TED.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 234-FIXABLE. That's 234-349-2253. Fixable is brought to you by the TED Audio Collective. It's hosted by me, Frances Fry, And me, Ann Morris. Our team includes Isabel Carter, Constanza Gallardo, Lydia Jean Cott, Sarah Nix, Jimmy Gutierrez, Michelle Quint, Corey Hajim, Alejandra Salazar, Ban Ban Chang, and Roxanne Highlash. Ben Cheno is our mix engineer. We'll be bringing you new episodes of Fixable every week, so make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And one more thing. If you can, take a second to leave us a review. A good review. Make it a great review. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it.